This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Unhinged. Do you think this is Russell Crowe doing an autobiography of the time that he was really upset at people? Or he just backed his car into a camera one day. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello. Hi. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into v- movies via most spoiler free review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 416. 416. Oh, my God. We're so old. <laughs> yeah. We've been... 416 episodes old? That's crazy. Uh-huh. We've gone around We've gone around the tree and a little more. Yeah, yeah. We've definitely gone around the sun. And uh, what, what are we talking about? This week we're talking Unhinged. The... Cinema is returned! Exactly. The... <laughs> I'll just get right to it. Our guest, who's been very excited to talk about Unhinged in some capacity, <laughs> from Forbes and co-chair of the Zack Snyder fan club. He may or may not be in their demographic. It's Scott Mendelson. Netflix can go to hell. Cinema <laughs> is back! Scott, how are you doing today? Scott, hello. I'm actually doing very well. Good. Glad to hear. Uh, I'm optimistic that the first two weeks of online schooling won't be a complete disaster for my children. So maybe I might be the less of a good mood this time tomorrow, but we'll see. That's why we got you. We got you in early. <laughs> I'm glad that we got you early. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and what a week. <laughs> that feels like the theme of every week in 2020. What a week. Yeah. Right? yeah. But um, we're going to do this. We're going to talk about Unhinged. Uh, we're going to talk about the movie. And we're also going to get into some other stuff about the box office and some other thoughts on uh, things going on. But let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, a new commentary track is out now. It is for Enter the Dragon. Brandon, Peter, and I had a blast talking about the Bruce Lee film as well as Bruce Lee. And that's up on iTunes. You can find that right now. It's, it's a lot of fun. Please check it out. Uh, it's keeping that in mind. Our next commentary track for September, we've decided on, it's going to be for the film Seven, which celebrates its 25th anniversary. David Fincher's Seven. I, I imagine people have seen it. So get prepared for that one because that's going to be, I think that's going to be a fun conversation too. Uh, let's see. What else? iTunes Reviews Ratings. Speaking of these commentary tracks, all of those, as well as all of our other silly episodes, can be found on iTunes. You can search for our show, Out Now, Theron and Abe. You can find us. You can give us a rating and uh, even a written review if you'd like. It'd be great. Five stars, five stars only. <laughs> and uh be nice to get some new reviews on there. We get, you know, pump us up on the Better five stars, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, the five stars is nice as well. In general, it's nice to you know, get a little extra on the, on the iTunes in the feeds. Um, let's see. What, uh, what last thing I mentioned this last week, I'll mention it now just because it's out in wide print and all that. Uh, my variety debut has uh, come out in print. Hey. It's, it's, uh, it's online now as well. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But it is my interview with director Yun Sang Ho, who directed Train to Busan Presents Colon Peninsula. Uh, so, yeah, that's out there now. Uh, all right. All the little people who knew you before you were cool there. <laughs> It was just like it was just a, a little while ago when you and I, Abe, you, Abe and I and Scott joined us for the first time for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Oh, I had so much hair and so much life ahead of me, and so many yeah, memos, there was so much to learn about the Wizarding World. <laughs> so many memos. That's what was going on back then. <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> was it Memosons Memos or were you just, you just outright own Memosons Memos? Uh, it was it was a blog spot. I think it was Scott Allen Mendelson blog spot. Mendelson Memo is just the name. You probably bought mm. the, the the domain eventually at some point. I have to imagine. 
No, I did. I'm oh, waiting for Scott to, to ask me how much he's going to pay me for it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing now. <laughs> no, I also bought Forbes.com. So, you know, That's I, I guess I'm your boss. It was a weird discount this weekend. <laughs> it was a weird it was a, it was a Groupon. <laughs> <laughs> All oh, right. I just checked. I bought Phobes.com, not Forbes. <laughs> they left that one wide open for you to take yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. No wonder it was 99 cents on GoDaddy.com. <laughs> All these are not sponsored. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's carry the silliness over to our next topic here. What we would have talked about this week. Where we go over the film that we would have talked about if COVID-19 did not destroy the summer weekends. As well as most of the world. Um, let's get into it. I feel like I have a new tagline for this segment every week. And I'm very happy about that. It, they're always very depressing though. I'm sorry. Um, all right. What we would have talked about this week. It is August 21st. Originally we would have seen Judas and the Black Messiah. Also known as my favorite title. Untitled Fred Hampton movie. <laughs> You should have still, looked at us I, I still, yeah, I know. I still call Bridge of Spies untitled Spiel, Steven Spielberg Cold War drama. <laughs> oh, it's not a guy who wears a hat? No, well, it stars, it stars Mark Rounds who wore that hat. That's, that's, that's what's going on in that movie. I, I still think, I mean, I know why they didn't SEO and marketing, whatever, but I think Fox almost missed an opportunity not calling the Deadpool sequel untitled Deadpool sequel. Oh, my God, that was the best one. <laughs> that would have yeah, been, so in, been so in character. On brand. Would have been so in character. I hope I hope one day Cameron Crowe makes a legacy sequel to Almost Famous and calls it Untitled Untitled. <laughs> the Untitled Cut. Yes. All right. We would have. T- Speaking of a very serious movie, we would have talked about Judas and the Black Messiah. This is a film that stars Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, and of course Jesse Plemons. And um, I the trailer actually did come out for this movie not too long ago. So I, I Scott, do you know is this supposed to come out in 2020? Is that the idea? Uh, I think it's honestly I don't know. They're being very close to the vest on this. I'm, yeah. uh, it I'm like, guessing sometime in 2021, unless they want Oscars. If I had to give, could be that like, even matters at this point. It is a Warner Brothers thing. So I'm like, do they? Yes. I mean, I guess if they want like American Sniper, they could stagger that release. Like they could make a Christmas thing into like yes. theaters and then open it up wider. But uh, regardless, regardless, this trailer did come out not too long ago, and I think it's one of the best trailers I've seen in a, a long, long time. But Abe, did you watch the trailer for? I have not yet. But mm-hmm. I'm going to go for it anyway, because I think that people, there was a lot of buzz about Daniel Kaluuya, 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 yes. mm-hmm. uh, maybe like three weeks ago when it when it first dropped. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, everybody's track record has been very strong with Daniel, so I'm probably just going to watch the movie by itself. No, don't even give me an intro into what this is about. Fair. I mean, it's about Fred Hampton, but I mean, fair enough. But, um, <laughs> it's about it's about Black Panther. So you've, you've, already, you've already seen Daniel oh, Kaluuya wow. do that okay. once. All right, the follow up. Got <laughs> yeah, it. Follow up. Yeah. It's, it's, it should have been called Untitled Black Panther sequel. That's what it should have been. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I yes, you can go in blind. I'm not saying don't. It's just it's such an evocative trailer that doesn't really <laughs> reveal much beyond there's a movie about this guy. Uh, but Scott, what about you? You've seen the trailer. What, what do you what do you think? Yes, I, I think it's a classic Warner Brothers trailer. I mean, it's a compliment. They have a streak going on a while of making really solid teasers to non-franchise pictures that make them look like events. Mm-hmm. Um, they do it in a way that structures the trailer around a single key scene, which itself ends on either a cliffhanger or a moral dilemma. And then they build, you know, they show off the rest of the movie in very cryptic, spoiler-free, frankly, context-free 
montages within the confines of that specific setup. For example, the obvious example of the, the American Sniper teaser, which was built around Bradley Cooper debating whether or not to snipe a young boy that might be an insurgent. Mm-hmm. Um, Clint Eastwood's, you know, Richard Jewell had a similar trailer concerning, you know, him being interrogated by the FBI and slowly coming to the realization that they think he's a suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, I love these trailers. I think Warner Brothers does them better than anybody else. Um, this trailer, you know, obviously is built around the idea. Sorry, you know, spoilers for history, um, where you have you know Fred Hampton as a rising revolutionary, um, and you have the FBI attempting to bring down the organization from within using a man who is facing a long prison sentence and convincing him to turn rat. And the the sequence that the trailer is about is, is basically just Fred Hampton giving a fiery revolutionary speech with the mole played by uh, Stanfield watching and, you know, being very torn about what to do. Um, and, you know, th- this speech is longer than the trailer itself, so I'll wrap that up. But, no, it's, it's a terrific <laughs> – it's a classic Warner Brothers trailer, and I've always felt – Yes, it's great that they can open The Dark Knight Rises to 160 million, but holy shit, when they open, you know, Gravity to 55 or Magic Mike to 39 or, you know, American Sniper to, you know, 107 million over four days, that's when Warner Brothers, you know, shines brightest. And I'm not going to say this is going to do anywhere near that kind of business. You know, I'm budgeting, not, you know, presuming they'd be thrilled with, you know, over under 150 million worldwide, but it is that kind of trailer that just really grabs your attention and makes the case that this non-franchise, non-IP, you know, adult skewing, star-driven picture is an event film in its own specific way. It makes me wonder why they're going to release it in August 21st, unless they're going for like that straight out of Compton money. Well, yeah, and. Uh, you know, for better or worse, that's when the butler opened. That's when the help opened, give or take. Mm-hmm. That was when Street opened. That's when, um, obviously, didn't do very well because you know, Annapurna is not, you know, Annapurna. But Detroit opened around that weekend, give yeah. or take. So, you know, if I may generalize, that is a relatively safe weekend for big movies about and for African-American moviegoers. I suppose. But um, just looking at it, yeah, I do – it's not opening this weekend. It's opening presumably later this year. Um, we'll see what happens, but I, it just from from how they're marketing it alone, I don't know if the strategy changed or not, but I mean, certainly given the moments that we've been living in for a lot of the year, among other things that have been going on, it seems like, yeah, that's a, seems like a good award season kind of push movie, but that seems like it's what it's going to turn into, even if it was already trying to be that despite coming out in the summer, but we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. So it comes out at some point. <laughs> We're not, just not sure yet. Eventually, do a theater, or hopefully near you. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's get to our main review for Unhinged. You know what a courtesy tap is, young man? Sounds like this. It's light. It's friendly. Sure, that's what your mom meant to do. No, it's not, Mom. Having a kind of a hard time lately. I'm sorry. Accept my apology? Just ignore him. Well, if you could just do the same, we could press reset. I don't have anything to apologize for. Can you go, please? 
That should have been some of the trailer for Unhinged. Solstice Studios presents the first movie to be placed in wide release in America given our current post-Bloodshot environment. <laughs> it, it, stars, it stars Russell Crowe as Tom Cooper, a guy from the get-go we know is a violent and unstable man. He has a chance traffic encounter with Karen Pistorius's Rachel, and then decides to make her life a living hell. Cut to car chases, stalking, invasion of her life via friends and relatives, and other dastardly means to show someone what a bad day looks like inspired by road rage. The film is open to a whopping 5.1 million in the U.S. this past weekend. More on that later, but for now, Scott, did Crow happen to anyone successfully? <laughs> I had a good time with this unapologetic piece of grindhouse trash. Um, I mean, it is an exploitation picture. It's... I mean, to be fair, it's a $30 million film that looks big. The action scenes are impressive. But, you know, aside from that, it's the kind of film that would have been absolutely at home as a Lionsgate VOD, or Lionsgate premiere VOD title. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It being the first movie of the quote-unquote, it's not even post-COVID because we still got it, but of the new era, you know, is deeply ironic because it's the kind of movie that, even in good times would struggle theatrically because it's not an event film. It's, it's an original picture. Um, Russell Crowe is a name, but he hasn't really been an opener by himself in a decade. But, you know, just as a movie, it's fun. It, it is based and structured very similarly to Red Eye, which makes sense because it shares the same screenwriter. It's not as good as that movie, um, but it is, it's a B movie. It delivers the nasty goods. It's surprisingly violent. It's surprisingly mean in a way that, frankly, most the I, you don't see a lot of in theatrical pictures. You know, it has the, the grit and, you know, grime of a, you know, again, a straight to VOD, straight to DVD picture, mm -hmm. uh, which often, frankly, compensates for a lack of production values with violence and gore. Um, well, I mean, that that comes from the fact that it's from Solstice Studios, right? Like, if yeah, this was, like, Universal, like, they're not going to put out a R-rated Russell Crowe movie like this. They're going to put out a more watered-down version, or at least not play yeah. it up in 3,000 screens, if that was a normal yeah. year. The Solstice is a new new distribution outlet, um, and this film was originally scheduled for July 1st, back when we all thought that this would huh, be interesting. ending, you know, maybe mid-June, mid late-June. And yeah, the idea was it for it to be the first wide theatrical release to welcome moviegoers back. You know, it was certainly a mitzvah to the theater chains and a way to get into good graces with the theater chains for the next handful of Solstice pictures. It gets to live in movie trivia immortality. But as a movie, I mean, it's fine. It's fun. It's, you know, it, it it's morality and is a little icky. I think in a lot of ways it's a little too sympathetic to its villain. Um, and I don't even think that's the movie so much as how we unfortunately know how people take stuff. You know, let me, let me put it this way. If you're the kind of person that watched Breaking Bad and thought that Skylar White was the villain, you're going to be more sympathetic toward Russell Crowe's character than you should be. In a lot of ways, this is the film that a lot of us feared that Joker was going to be, which it clearly was not. <laughs> but putting that aside... Russell Crowe is having a blast. The movie makes just enough sense to work. Um, there are some interesting plot twists in terms of how the, you know, I'm trying to avoid spoilers here, the one bad day goes about and, you know, it, it, it delivers the bads. Again, I saw it on a screener. Mm -hmm. I did not have to drive out to a drive, drive in to see this. But, you know, if I had paid six bucks to watch it on VOD, I certainly would have felt I had my money's worth. And if I had paid, you know, 
eight bucks to see it on a Friday morning AMC matinee, I would have felt I got my money's worth. I mean, it's hard to divorce the movie from the nature of its release. All right. Well, we can we can come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Abe, where are you of Unhinged? Yes. Unhinged, uh, I think Scott brings up a lot of great points. I think that Unhinged is, like, visually, it looks fine, like, on a technical level. Like, you can see what's going on. The cameras are placed in clean positions. Like, I don't, Scott, the director is uh, Derek Bort. I, I'm not familiar with any of his other work. Um, but it looks understandable and and i think that there's a lot of good tension in a lot of scenes there's like this thriller aspect of it right this dual type aspect of it in which uh this woman this woman and her son have to like evade this guy who is really uh it's been set up that he's he's unhinged yes but i was gonna be like (laughs) almost like psychotic right Uh um he's on medication he's burned down a house and whatever else as the movie goes along there, yes, there's actually really good uh, scenes in which um, I'm not really sure what might happen next kind of thing. Like it's almost like it almost works in a horror movie in that in that regard. Um, but then you get down to where we have, I guess, a lot of the um, the character pieces. And on that level, I'm just like, seriously, I'm just like, fuck this movie. And what I mean by that is this is like male masculinity at its worst. This is like, hey. Um, I'm going to have a bad day, so you know what? I'm going to go and take it out on this person. And the way that he calls her things, like he names her like, these these like terrible things, like it, it's not like bitch or whatever. It's more just like she's this entitled person. It's like you, she's also going through a hard time here, guy. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is like a, an image portrayal that I just didn't like seeing. So Scott's right. Like it's an ugly thing in that it's, it's, um, you have, um, it's mean and, um, the movie doesn't really do a great job of you being on like narratively, like not being against Russell Crowe's character, but ultimately it's an, it's, it's actually a pretty decent thriller, but I just didn't like the way that it was honestly portraying some of the ways that you can lash out at people and why it's okay. The movie tries to make it a, a, a larger scope and say like, well, a lot of road rage is happening these days. And, you know, if you put your phone down and if you don't honk or whatever the case is, you're going to be OK. I actually hated the message at the end of the movie. I the, the the last scene in which what happens, first of all, she's got a green light. Second of all, that's I don't know. It just felt as though it was like, well, you know, and this is this is not because she's a woman. It's more like, well, you know, just don't honk. You know, it's like, fuck that shit. Like, no, fuck that. So I was I was kind of upset, but also I understood the the horror slash thriller slash like you know um what you might consider as like modern day like um ills uh being portrayed but ultimately it's just like yeah i i could have done without this movie i mean i'll I'll say it's an exploitation film so i mean it's going to traffic in certain ideas as far as (laughs) i didn't mean no pun with the traffic um but like (laughs) <laughs> why it's portraying things a certain way, why it has a mean spiritedness to it, and even this kind of tossed off joke at the end. I mean, it mm-hmm. those are elements of this kind of movie. That said, I mean, I don't, I think, I, I think it's fine as far as yes, there's an entertainment value to come from seeing Russell Crowe in this character mode, playing this hulking monster man that's driving after this poor woman and all this. And yes, there's tension generated from scenes there's a white knuckle thriller aspect to what's going on because that's the idea 
at the same time, like, there's movies like this that I've seen that do this better. And, like, yeah, Duel is an obvious because it's Steven Spielberg, so that's, you know, that's going to automatically be the best version. Or something like The Hitcher or Cellular or, what, Falling Down, I guess, is another one. And But, like, all of those movies are just better accomplished to me as far as what they're trying to do or how they're made doing it. Like, Derek Fort, his filmmaking here, it's, yeah, I can see what's happening, but there's nothing especially clever about how he's made the movie um it's it really comes down to crow doing his thing here i i mean i even say what's uh karen pistorius like she's doing what she has with the material but there's not much there with her character and the movie doesn't afford her anything to do beyond be unstable about what's taking place by you know screaming at russell crowe or being scared of russell crowe like there's nothing really there now again these don't this movie doesn't require much nuance like i get it but i think my biggest issue was the movie starts at an 11 by showing russell crowe murder people at the top like that's not a spoiler that's the opening scene and so i feel (laughs) like the movie eliminates a lot of tension by already showing him being unhinged yeah right I, i get that that's like yeah, that's the title. Boom, there it is in front of you. But at the same time, it's like, we should see this guy go crazy, right? Or get a flashback to that eventually. But like, that, that I, I'm not going to say this is the movie I should have seen, but it's like, I feel like that's a more effective way of giving me this character and seeing the what, what threat level he presents. Because if you just introduce him as a guy on the road who gets honked, then yeah, okay, it's a it's a thriller so it's going to be you know taken to its extreme but i don't know anything about him you already show you already show me him murdering people and i'm like well yeah of course this guy's gonna be crazy i just saw him murder people like it's not there's no surprise there i and so that makes me wonder because i have a question for you for you guys and for scott because you brought this up as far as having empathy for russell crowe's character i mean do you i mean i uh, if there's a version if again there's a if there's a version of this where you don't see him murdering people at the beginning like yeah, I guess uh, there, you can have some kind of. I don't think that Scott and I are saying that there's empathy for him. It's just that there's like what you said. There's not a lot of character development for Karen Pistorius's character as Rachel. I've seen the question go around. I feel like it, there's so, there, there should be zero empathy for Russell Crowe's character. Or making you feel bad about like honking. Yeah. It's like no, you shouldn't. Yeah. This guy murdered people at the beginning of the movie. I don't, I don't have any that, yeah, reason. This guy <laughs> seriously like has like a, a, you know. Hey, no, yeah, beyond that, yeah, he's just wrong as far as his honking spiel that he goes into. Like, that's wrong to begin with. Guy was standing, guy was sitting at a red light. You get honked. That's what happens. He made her wait for the whole red light. (laughs) And then demands an apology. (laughs) Cross that red light to catch up with her to like, you know, tell her like, here's a courtesy honk. And I was like, this is like, you know, to that degree, there's there's zero there's zero. What what, 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 yeah, what I'm saying is there's there's no part of me that's like. Well, I see his side of it. No, I don't. There's no part of me that says that whatsoever. And I've just, I feel like I, I've seen that a few places, and I'm like, why? At what point am I supposed to feel bad for Russell? Cr- Nothing about this makes me feel bad for him. Um, I think it's, and I know I've been, you know, this has sort of been on my mind for the last four years. But that, you know, the whole, regardless of how I feel, the cynicism, the cynic in me, you know, sees a movie like this and sort of pictures how other less less nuanced, I guess, filmgoers might take it. Right. And again, that's not the movie's fault, but, you know, we, 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 we now know a lot about how too many people read too many pieces of art in the worst possible way. Correct. Yeah, so that's, I mean, again... And like, that, know, that's, that's actually, that's, that was my fear, too, Scott, is like, you're going to have somebody who watches this who doesn't understand that this guy is making, like, this grindhouse-type horror movie... Or he's not—he's like trying to like not make a huge statement, 
And they're going to be like, exactly. This is why women should be like subjected to me. It's like, fuck this guy. Yeah, but that's because not, the that's other part the that I really that's dislike not the movie, though. Like, that, that's the I, same, I understand. That's I understand. the same as saying like video there's... games make people murderers. It's like, no, it doesn't. Like, that, that's not that, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the side of, you know, thinking through things. But there's going to be people that do believe what you just said and do believe that Tupac is bad for America. Um, but it's like, hey, if you listen to his raps, he's rapping about other things, you know. So I, I think that there will be like a contingent, not of maybe critics, but maybe of screen guards is like, I'm on the side of Russell Crowe because, yeah, people do this and they should respect me more, you know. And it's like, um, then fucking go when it's green, guy. So I, I'm not huge on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think it does have effective entertaining moments, but I, I'm not big on the movie overall just because I don't think it's all that cleverly made. There are surprises, I will say that. I was generally taken aback by how violent this movie is. Like that's <laughs> that's something. But uh, beyond that, it's like all right, yeah, he, like Russell Crowe's doing his. Is he? Forgive me. Is he wearing padding? <laughs> I don't think so. I, Scott, I, you might know more. There has to be some. Like I know he's bigger now, but he can't no, be I that think, big. I think... I, I I think it's just he got big for the role. He's probably gonna slim down. Because I've seen him since. Like he has slimmed down if he indeed was that big. But I mean, he wore he was what he's what's his name, John Lithgow. What's his name on a, on the Showtime version of Vice or yeah. not Vice of uh, oh, uh, the other one? No, the oh. other. What? No, John. No, John Lithgow in that in the in the movie version, a bombshell. Let's, oh let's, yeah yeah yeah. Oh, he's the playing Fox News thing. Churchill. No, the thought. Jesus Christ, David. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Roger Ailes. Roger, thank you. I just I don't connect myself to that world, so I forget these names. Um, <laughs> yeah, he he like wore all makeup and fat suit stuff for Roger Ailes. I don't know. He just had something else going on to continue that going. With no, Russell Crowe's a method actor, man. He he gained those pounds. He gained those lbs. <laughs> he's he's he is good in this movie. I don't want to deny him this. Like I do think he does well, the job. I, yeah, and I think Scott was saying this too, where there's. Uh, maybe you weren't saying this guy was it so it was just more like if there was a different actor in this role i don't think they would bring that sort of like just look menace you know like that there's something about russell crowe's just his level of acting now is such that um you can get a lot from a little because there's moments where he's not being threatening but you can tell that there's like a smugness and then asshole about him and maybe I, like some folks don't have that i I agree, and I think I mean the best scene in this movie is the scene of him in the diner with Jimmy Simpson. I think that scene is phenomenal as far as what he's playing at, what he's hiding, and where it goes. I, I almost think, think that there's also the the first scene in which they they first talk, where he told where he asked the kid to roll down the window. I was like, this is a very menacing scene, and then it's it's actually well done by Russell Crowe, and you just tell like this guy's fucking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah, that's sort of the point yeah, of the hook. And I, I agree with Aaron. I think you do lose something when you see him start at eleven in a in a prologue. You know, and again, you're right. It is you know there is a different version of this movie where we discover that he's dangerous right when she does. Right. Yeah, I think um, that's a. I, I don't know different. if that works better or not, but you know it crossed my mind as well. Well, even when you're like at you know, and that's this pure speculation, but I wonder if there's a version where that was the case. If like it's something that's smoothed around as far as what we're realizing about this person or what have but regardless because that's pure speculation doesn't matter it's you know if you're just going on a general audience logic like you're going into a movie called unhinged you've probably seen some kind of marketing that hints at what this movie is going to be I, I don't know if i need a scene of him murdering someone to be like oh now i get the hook of this movie <laughs> well, I, I it's like... to really set it up <laughs> just from the get-go really needs to set it up 
I like the scheming in this movie that Russell Crowe does because it's one thing to have him just chasing a car around, but there's more to what he's doing that, while again, very mean and ridiculous, and ridiculous also in terms of how Rachel responds, because I feel like there's ways to solve this thing that don't really happen. Regardless, I do like that the movie tried to take chances with the scheme. Did you like the scheming that Russell Crowe was doing? Uh, yes, I did. And I, I I don't want to give it away, but there is a moment where she has to make a proverbial Sophie's Choice that I found very compelling. And that's where, to me, I think the film reached its 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 potential. You know, what, what we wanted from a movie like that going into it. That specific moment and how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Um... I assume right. you know what I'm referring to. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Okay, then I will stop talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that there's actually a lot of, um, I don't know if you would call them twists or turns, but there's just some interesting things that Russell Crowe's character does in this movie. Um, some of them Joker style, uh, but for the most part, I, I did like that, like what you said, Aaron. It's not just like a straight chase movie. Like it's not as though they're on the freeway, and then you have like the the fear of like, well, what if I run out of gas? And now I'm like on this desolate road. It's like he's going all throughout the city. uh, And then so is she. Right. And I I agree with you that there's a a point where I felt like it was again. This is why I think that they they focus a little more on the Russell Crowe character. They just don't give her a lot to do in the specific scene. And I was like, why is this? She's the protagonist, presumably, of the story. Why is it that I feel so helpless for this person right now? But I guess it works out still. Um, there's there's some interesting avenues that they take for sure. I mean, that's part of it too. Like that, you have the Rachel character, and you establish like her her domestic life essentially, as far as what's going on with her and like who's Stand in her, her life. Yeah. yeah, and and she like has a, a a brother that's living with her, and he has a girl. Like there's things that are going on, right. and so, and it tends to bother me in movies like this where you have a you know. Like we've said, it's a, gr- a gritty grindhouse movie that's mean. It's mean-spirited. So things happen that you're not going to like as far mm-hmm. as they didn't need to happen to <laughs> – things didn't need to happen in the ways that they did uh, necessarily to prove a point. But if it does, okay, c- good, but let's see where that goes. And by the end of things, the tone has such a, you know, let's get in a one-liner and let's end on a joke. And it's like, what about the horrible things that you're going to be suffering from the for the rest of your life? <laughs> I, 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 I the same thing. It's hard for me to balance like – yeah, this is terrible, but I'm inter- I'm entertained by this to a degree. Also, I'm entertained by the casual jokiness of the end of this movie. <laughs> I just liked how uh, I just liked how uh, the cop was like, "Well, we got your statement. You can leave now." It's like you've been beaten up yeah. by your son. There's no medical attention needed. You're just gonna get in your car and drive away. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, but that, that's where something like I guess maybe the jokes hit, but also if you if you're not aware of it, that's where it's like huh, what was that? What was that? You know, so, um, but I, the, one of the things I want to ask you guys about is um, there's this, the, the scene with Jimmy Simpson specifically mm-hmm. is like, um, you get to know a little bit more about Crow and his unhingedness. Did you guys, Aaron, you said it was probably like the best scene, um, but did you guys like find that, that it was a little bit too again trying to like help this guy help the audience feel as though this guy was like something that we should be empathetic for and the reason why i ask this because there's a specific line that he says to jimmy it's like he's asking about uh jimmy's relationship with with rachel and like how they know each other after he's like um beating him up a little bit and i'm just like i don't 
think that this is wholly necessary at all. Like to Aaron's point, I already know that this guy's unhinged. So why do I need to like see this? So I mean, I'm just I, curious. I would call a... that I would call that flavoring for the character more than yes, any kind sure. of you know playing trying to see him as a victim in some way. I think that's just more of mm-hmm. well, we yes we've seen an opening that has a lot of implication as to what he's doing what goes with that and that's what he's kind of hinting at clearly things happened in his personal life that relate to why he did the thing he did in the first place so i he's you know and he's still you know this is uh, you know six hours later or whatever after he did the thing at the beginning so it's like it's still fresh he's still riding off that adrenaline right like he's i don't know what his end goal is beyond like what is his goal like like say he successfully tortures and kills rachel is there a what you know do we get unhinged do we get untitled unhinged sequel like what, what no but that, that's where that's where he has a long conversation with death in part two um and it's about like why he needs to forgive oh so it's a seventh seal knockoff <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so yeah. william sadler comes in as death yeah. from building great great shadow work it's all in black and white as well so <laughs> it's all just great shadow work this unhinged sequel sounds great let me tell you <laughs> it's gonna win crow a second oscar or do you think he went for the insider no he just he, he has, not. He, has, he, has up, just, he has just the one yeah. Inside was that Kevin Spacey? That's Kevin Spacey year. Yes. Yes. Believe me, I would have the six cents. I had three jokes there, and all of them are mean. So I'm gonna say for the appropriate movie, American <laughs> Beauty. Uh, American Beauty. Okay. 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 <laughs> um, what were we saying? Crow and the Jimmy Simpson scene. Just more just questions about the the movie that anyone had. Uh, what else do I have? I'm trying to look through my notes here. Uh, Oh, what I want to keep bringing up. I mean, you you mentioned the idea of it could have been a movie where he's just driving, you know. No, no, you mentioned that. I, I, well, like, I mentioned it, yeah. But yeah. yes, there is a version of this where it's just them in you know car on car combat, kind of the whole thing, which is that's the that's kidnap. That's Halle Berry in kidnap, right. uh, the second part of the Halle Berry presumable trilogy of her in car dramas. Exactly. Now, stupid too. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, the call is great, and kidnap is a lot of fun. Uh, If she was cast in this movie, that would have been a hell of a cinematic universe, let me tell you right now. (laughs) She'd she'd own the corner on that. Yeah, Uh, and you bring Crow in for added value. Like, it just, the money (laughs) just just comes in. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) And and I've got some, like, unanswerable questions slash nitpicks. I want to know, Scott, how far is your kid's school away from your house? (laughs) Uh... Pretty close, actually. Exactly. Do you have to get on a freeway to drive your kid to school? Uh, no, but there are people that do. I mean, she right, might have to Usually, schools school. are set up in a way, and school districts are set up in a way in which the school is local. <laughs> oh, wait, is this a new house, though, because she just got divorced? Could have been. Yes. Because that would yeah. explain it, right? That actually might explain it. I wonder I wonder if there's a location to, like, another house. But um, I, I just laughed. I was like, eight miles? To get to your house? That's crazy. I, I mean, to be fair, I was in a situation like that when I was going to school. I mean, so it's your, your house is like a mile from the high school. My parents are divorced, as you might recall, Abe. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> but your high school was a mile away from your house. From one of the houses, yes. Yes. Yeah, from <laughs> one of the houses where we would play windback. Um. So, I mean, yeah. If you want to nitpick, I mean, I think there's ample reason for that no this is just more like fun nitpicks not like because <laughs> the other the other nitpick is like can you not unlock your phone for anybody can you just like <laughs> put a screen lock on it doesn't matter like just leave it on um and then the other the other nitpick i had was um how old are these people 
because their mother is in a nursing home. Her son is maybe 11, and her brother looks like he's like 19. Again, okay. unanswerable. <laughs> I mean, those, those are answerable. Just that's how people roll. Like, what? this is just different, different I families. Get it. I get it. Yeah. So, uh, oh, right. uh, last yeah. one. Have you guys ever heard of a hairstylist uh, being fired um, before? Because usually I feel like the hairstylist that's firing their, their client. It's not a world I have much experience in. Yeah. I don't have much hair left. I mean, I've heard of, <laughs> I've heard of people being fired for being constantly late before. Yeah. yeah I it's, 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 it's a movie-specific detail. You know, why does that happen? Because the screenwriter says it does. And yeah, that's exactly. fine. So again, Nipex unanswerable questions. <laughs> All right. So when should people go and see on un... this is a question. this is a question. This is gonna lead us into our next conversation, actually. But I yeah, like let let's say, I mean, w- w- should people be going to see this movie? Should they wait on it? Should they wait for the queue? What 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 should we do here? Um, I mean, oh go ahead, Scott. Well no, I mean I don't know. We we don't know yet. Let's okay. Let me put it this way. Let's say that there wasn't a pandemic going on. Let's say well, was was this a regular theatrical release? Would yeah, you say people you should go, go and on see our own scale? Yeah, in that case, yes. In normal times, if it's something that you know, if you lo- saw the trailer and saw, thought this looks fun, then I would say um, you know a, a, a morning matinee. All right. <laughs> I would wait for on demand. Hey, what about you? This is a TV movie that you can have on when you're doing laundry. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. TNT, they know action, or whatever the <laughs> phrase is. They know drama. They know drama, yeah. They know drama. USA has characters welcome in TBS. You got laughs. Oh. <laughs> TBS is very funny. <laughs> TBS, yeah. F- FX has the movies. That's their <laughs> slogan now? Yeah, FX has the movies. That, that's, mm, okay. And there's always, there's as always, there's just one Fox. Mm. <laughs> this, is, this is a good point. One of the stupidest and my favorite Family Guy jokes. I think it's the pilot episode where they like they're at the su- it's at the Super Bowl because I think the show premiered on the Super Bowl. Yes. There they there's like co- there's security guards at the Super Bowl and they break a glass and it says just one gun. On yes. Glass. They, that's that's a funny joke. My <laughs> favorite in the pilot was the Kool Aid bit. Well, that, that I mean that's what it sealed the deal as far as world. yeah I was yes I was howling and that's what it sealed the deal was like this is a show I'm gonna watch forever and then I stopped after like four seasons. <laughs> but, after the fourth season? Wow, you lasted pretty long. Well, there was three, then it got canceled, then it came back. So I'm like obviously I'm curious about what it is when it came back, and then I stopped watching. Yeah, good on you. <laughs> and, for, and now, for, for watching. And now it's been on for I think like what twelve, thirteen, fifteen. I want to say like yeah, at least like. Like <laughs> that. <laughs> It's okay, yeah. we're going to have uh, Seth MacFarlane on next 18. week. 18! So <laughs> 18? 18 seasons! Wow, 300, 349 episodes! Yeah. Simpsons have been on for like 30 years. Huh. Is American Dad still a thing? Yes. It still exists, yes. Yeah. That's on TBS though, right? This is a very important conversation that I've segued to. It's on 17 <laughs> seasons! The only show that's been canceled from that world has been the Cleveland show, right? Yes. Yeah. I believe so, yes. And it wasn't because he wasn't voiced by a black guy. <laughs> No, <laughs> I think they actually resolved all the problems. They did. The show. Yeah, they're like, hey, you're gonna move back to like Kohog or wherever they. Wherever they well, I don't know. I don't know what the premise of the show was. Well, that's Seth MacFarlane's memos. Let's move back into our unhinged conversation. <laughs> um, all right. So we wanted to talk about. We have Scott Mendelson on here. Box office extraordinaire. We figured let's talk about how this movie's done so far and some other things. So Scott, how how is this movie? How does this movie do in its debut American weekend? 
Uh, it made about $4 million in its Friday to Sunday debut with in about 1,800 screens, which is approximately, I think, 1,900 and change per theater. Five of the top ten screens were drive-ins. Uh-huh. Uh, nine, uh, six of the top – excuse me. The top five were all drive-ins, and six of the top ten were drive-ins, um, which I think may tell you something about in terms of who is willing to go and where they're willing to go. Mm-hmm. Um in normal circumstances, frankly, four million would be about what I expect for a movie like this. Uh, you know, a good year opened to three point seven million in two thousand six, and uh, the next three days opened to six point five ish in November twenty ten. So this is in that ballpark for a you know Russell Crowe and nothing but Russell Crowe star vehicle. Um, and I think to a certain extent, the whole it's the only movie out was then also balanced out by, but there's a pandemic going on. Um, obviously, theaters in New York and California, and I think Michigan and a few other states are not open yet, um, although some of them still have drive-ins, as far as I know. Um, Solstice is obviously hoping for long legs, and they could get them. You know, The New Mutants is the only movie next week. Tenet's the only movie after that. And it's pretty slow going till October. Um, and even then, you've got Wonder Woman and then uh, Death on the – excuse me, Candyman and then Death on the Nile. Um, and then, you know, assuming things improve and or don't get worse, in November, that's when things start getting relatively busy. No Time to Die, Black Widow, and Soul. Um, as far as how well this movie did, obviously we're in uncharted territory here. I think it did fine considering the, you know, the the national situation, um, and the fact that movies like this generally don't do well in theaters. You know, it's, it's, if this were a normal weekend, the number would not surprise me in the least. And I'd be sort of explaining how, you know, people don't go to see studio programmers anymore. That demographics moved to streaming. I'm surprised it's got a theatrical release, blah, 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 blah. Um, but under the circumstances, it could have been a lot worse. Honestly, I stopped paying attention when you mentioned the next three days because now I'm like, I I saw this movie in the theaters <laughs> and I forgot that, like, for some reason I remembered RZA's in it, but I forgot that Liam Neeson has a role, Daniel yes, Stern's in this movie. Cameo. I, I, um, anyway, I was kidding. I'm kidding, but I mean, I that, know, I know. that Paul Haggis movie is like, that's <laughs> they did that. Well, um, when, when, the, when this was announced, that was, of course, the the, the precedent that I looked to. Because it was a Russell Crowe star vehicle and an adults, blah, 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 mm-hmm. that, you know, even 10 years ago, when the theatrical market was a little bit more forgiving, still barely of it. It didn't bomb. It did about 60 and change on a 30 million budget, which isn't great, but it probably broke even in the long run. Well, it's also a November movie. It's probably other things also that had more attention yeah. on it than. Yeah, it, it opened against yeah. Harry Potter and Netflix Olives part one. Well, there a you spoiler, go. It did you not stop the box office that weekend. You mean the best Harry Potter movie? Damn right. Up yours, mother and mother and wife. You're both wrong, and you know it. Um, <laughs> They're Goblin Tell fans. Them, <laughs> <laughs> they know what they did. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's now the the next three days actually had a decent multiplier of three point two, ending with around twenty one million and change. But a good year, which to be fair was a romantic melodrama, 
uh, tapped out at seven and a half million from a three and a half million opening. So will this leg out? I don't know. The closest comparison we've got right now is SpongeBob SquarePants. The SpongeBob movie Sponge on the Run, which did around $900,000 in Canada last weekend and then dropped around 35% this weekend in Canada. The movie's going to VOD in America, uh, hmm. I think, early next year. So, you, um, so what, you, what I'm hearing is if, if the movies don't follow a similar model to what SpongeBob's doing, you're, in fact, going to blame Canada. Uh... Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. Should I say that um, with a more musical bent? Sure. Uh, no, your head has to be removed from your face when you're saying it. Or Got you, it. Okay. Yeah. South Park uh, style. Scott, uh, has the concept of PVOD just been around since COVID time? <laughs> since we said it's been around since COVID time? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, we've had VOD they, before. And, they, but, they've like, been the, threatening to do that for 10, 15 years. I remember Universal wanted to offer Tower Heist in late 2011 for like 30, I think 60 bucks. It was 60. It was 60 dollars. Yeah, it was 60 bucks after dollars. 17 days in theaters. Oh, I, I was hey, pay less than what I was that. willing to pay for it. I was going to pay 75. I mean, uh, it is Tower Heist. I mean, come yeah. on, exactly. Um, here's a here's a fun fact. Just really throwing this in right quickly. I watched all the Rush Hour movies this past week, and there's a bonus disc that has like Brett Ratner and Jackie Chan looking back at Rush Hour. And Brett Ratner was apparently going to he was offered Ocean's Eleven. He was working on that, had to get had to go off of it. And then Ted Griffin, the writer of Ocean's Eleven, wrote Tower Heist, which he then got onto. So he's like he eventually had to make his heist movie. Anyway, I am so glad he didn't make Ocean's Eleven. You could have had three Brett Ratner directed Ocean's Eleven movies. Yeah, that's it. That hasn't aged well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, PVOD is something that they've been wanting to do for a while. You know, but 10 years ago, it was Disney that wanted to do it. They were threatening, not PVOD, but they were they wanted to have Alice in Wonderland out on DVD closer to like two and a half months than three, four months. Yeah, I remember that. And everybody went crazy. Oh, no, oh, no. Alice in Wonderland made a billion dollars worldwide. Right. You know, yeah. Life went on. That's Aaron's favorite memory from the past 10 years. Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> there's been a lot of chatter about you know, whether or not Trolls was a game changer. Here's the thing, and this is complicated, partially because we don't have hard numbers past the first three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, the film made around $100 million, $95, $100 million in the first 19 days of PVOD transactions, $20 a rental for 48 hours. Right. Um, that is good because Universal keeps 80% of that money. But the first Trolls in domestic theaters opening against Doctor Strange, Moana, Fantastic Beasts, Axel Ridge, Arrival, still made 93 million, 3 million domestic in theaters in the first 17 days before going on to make around $346 million worldwide on a 125-ish budget. Having said that, Trolls World Tour has been near the top or at the top of pretty much every VOD list you can think of since April. You know, Google, Amazon, iTunes, uh, Fandango, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. it's probably a solid win. It, w- it, w- it would appear that audiences can't stop that feeling. Exactly. <laughs> Especially when... Is it inside your bones? <laughs> it's also, you know, frankly, it's a better movie than the first Trolls. But the other thing is, is... It was the only game in town for a while. Right. You know, it came out, you know, April 10th, and we had been under lock and key more or less since mid-March. Right. It was a kid-friendly picture. 
that was providing convenient entertainment for for stuck at home children. Uh, you know, it was a big deal because it was the first. Yeah, you know, I definitely know families controls. who had to rent it almost for three weekends straight. Yeah. Um, and that made sense, you know. Like that's a great that's a great way to make some money. If so, only they well, had a Dis- if only they had a Disney Plus deal where they could rent it the once and then have it until they don't have Disney Plus anymore, right? Well, <laughs> and that's that's I think to Disney's credit, that's a good idea. I agree. I think that will, even though now I'm seeing on Variety that they're going to offer it for VOD everywhere else too. Hey, Aaron, where did you get your thing published? <laughs> that very trade, Abe. Oh. <laughs> um. This is tie-in. <laughs> thank you thanks um if this is a choose your own adventure you could press a button right now and skip right to my article <laughs> um so scott you're saying that unhinged would basically made around the same amount that it was probably going to make anyway yes i believe so yeah and you know it's done about i think 10 million overseas over under 15 million worldwide and i'm assuming they had foreign pre-sales for this movie they those you know most movies of that nature do where they you know solstice will get money you know basically they'll sell off the distribution rights to various territories for x amount of money which will cover a large portion of the budget well of course because i can't imagine solstice being like look we have a hook it's the movie's gonna open first so therefore we can afford everything like i know they have to have like plenty of things in mind they're not looking saying this movie costs 30 million dollars we're totally gonna make 90 worldwide on this puppy yeah yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So, thank you for all the box office recap. Now, I want to get to another question that I think does concern uh, you and I, as 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 you know, critics, uh, yeah. like film critics that like have whatever kind of influence. I do not deny the fact that Abe has a very strong influence because we host oh, this totally. podcast together and we make waves. Let me tell you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we I made mean, the movie Waves from twenty. We did. We we talked with Trey Schultz and we we're like, guy, guess what? We have an idea for H one for one to pay us twenty million. We we're like, no, no, we'll just do it for a million. Yeah. Uh, all right. But regardless, we have a. I have a question here. I wanted to like get us into, which is, what is the responsibility that we have as all all of us as people that are talk, promoting movies to an extent to review movies that are only available in theaters right now? Um, with the caveat that I know. People that I peers that I know and respect have very strong feelings about this. I believe that we are, as adults, writing for adults, have no responsibility in terms of, oh no, we're telling people to go to the theaters. I mean, most people. I mean, looking looking at the numbers, most people are probably going to see these movies when they go to VOD streaming anyway. You know, it's it's. It's even when we review a theatrical release that's only in theaters for the first 90 days, we do that with the presumption that unfortunately many people will choose to not see it in theaters. Now, having said that, again, I mean, we're all adults here. You know, I don't think, especially a movie like this that frankly did not get rave reviews, you know, I, I, I think we have to have at least some sense of. You know, we are adults writing for other adults, and we don't need to hold their hands and explain to them why going to a movie theater may or may not be the best idea right now. I think that's implied. You know, COVID is everywhere in every headline and every media source everywhere. It's not like people are going to say, well, I didn't know. I certainly understand people that feel ambivalent, and that's their, you know, I get it. But I also feel that it's, I don't want to say performative because it's not. I believe that there is a pressure to sometimes be performative when it comes to stuff like this that I don't believe is necessary. You know, I watched the movie. I reviewed the movie. 
The rest is entirely up to you. That's how I feel. Right. I I don't disagree, honestly. I mean, it's you know, it, we this speaks to like the job of what a critic does, and I do you know I've held this regardless of what's going on inside the world. It's you know when I write something or when Abe and I talk about something. And even with our rating of when you should go and see this, it's not as though we're saying it's not as though like the words that we've said to talk about our feelings of this movie or that I've written about how I feel about this movie. They're not designed to guarantee a certain kind of thing to get if you go to a theater to see it. I'm not instructing anyone to go to a theater and see it like that's not the purpose of any of this. The purpose is to assess the quality of a film, critique it, have fun with that, do whatever you need to. But you're generally just talking about how I feel about a movie. This all goes to Scott's point, what you've just said, as far as after that, that's up to you. And so me writing about movies right now that are going to be available in theaters and in theaters only specifically, such as Unhinged or the personal life of David Copperfield who opens next week, because <laughs> I've seen it, so I'm going to write about that soon enough. But like, yes, I I have things I want to say about some of these movies and they're going to be interpreted a certain way as far as what, so if someone is somehow more eager to see it or not um or they just don't care and i'm completely fine with that as well i know where i stand um and <laughs> it'll it'll be what it is from there but i i don't feel like there's a guilt that i should have as far as continuing to take on reviews for films that i'm happy to champion even if i don't feel it's the best time to go and see it in that kind of environment well here's another spin on on which to think about right not a lot's going on right now but they're still being sports played. If I'm writing about sports, <laughs> does that mean that I don't give a shit about the health of everybody else? No. Scott's going to write about things because that's how Scott gets paid. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Scott has a job. His job is to watch movies, have an opinion about it, write about it, and write about the box office. Whether you're going to go to a theater is like completely out of the realm of question for me. Like You should not go to a theater. I just honestly think that if you are going to go and criticize people and say, like, well, you know what, hey, you, how am I supposed to go see this in the environment which I'm supposed to go see it if you're telling me not to go see it? Or conversely, how am I supposed to go see this if nobody's going to let me and you're telling me I should only see a movie in IMAX or in Dolby or whatever else? It's like, hey, man, you got to do what you got to do. But at the same time, like, don't be a fucking idiot is what I'm trying to boil it down to. Um, and so if you're going to take the opinions of somebody like Scott or Aaron or uh, you're going to listen to this podcast and say, like, well, Abe said this, like, you know, just think about it for a little bit. You know, like, it's not very difficult. And if I'm talking down to somebody and you feel as though you're offended by it, then maybe you should reevaluate what you hold is is true. You know, like, there's nothing that Aaron and I say on a podcast weekly or that Scott writes about maybe even like every other day or daily that's going to affect your life if you don't do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not that cool. We're not that omnipresent. I'm not, we're not that omnipowerful. If we were, you know, maybe Scott would have more hair. This is true. <laughs> so ultimately, <laughs> to, I think the answer to the question is, hey, do critics have a responsibility uh, to write about film? What, what was the original question, Aaron? What's the responsibility as critics to review a movie only available in theaters? If they have the opportunity to see it in the theater because the studio has deemed it safe, that's good for them. Do you know what I mean? NBA is being played right now because the commissioner said you're going to have testing every day. We're getting this bubble. Nobody's going to be in and out of it. So they can play. They're being tested all the time. 
again, their rooms are probably more sterile than like our entire existence. And it's also like a proving point to say like, hey, you know what? Testing and being quarantined fucking works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to to the answer to Aaron's original question of like, hey, you know, do do the these critics have um, a responsibility to review things that aren't being seen by everybody else? Again, if Fox Studios makes it super clean and you're in a bubble, that's Fox Studios good. You know, then Scott will feel very safe in order to travel there, travel back to his home with his family and write a thousand words on it. Great. Scott's not telling you that, hey, hey, look at me. No, 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 no. I got to see this movie and you didn't. Like, so. Actually, that's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. damn it, Scott. You ruined all my. my... No, but. Um, I have been humble bragging quite a bit lately. Exactly. Hashtag not humble bragging. Um, <laughs> But ultimately, yeah, I, I don't think that there's really any responsibility that a critic has that says, like, you know, I'm gonna, I am gonna, want to go see Tenant in IMAX, and you should too. It's like, good, but at the same time, like, not everybody's going to have to, you know, your words are, are worthless to me, is what it is. You know what I mean? So I'll read them, and I'll like them, and I might, like, I might dislike some of it. But ultimately, you know, I'm going to make my own decisions, because I am a grown up, an, an adult with a brain, and I'm going to do what's best for my own, uh, for my own, I mean, honestly... It sounds weird when I'm going to say this, but for my own survival. So, hey, don't be an idiot. Here's a dumb question. Scott, is there tracking for Tenet right now? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. I, I wouldn't think so, just because I don't know what that would be like. But I am concerned from a professional point of view that they're going to use this scenario to sort of pull back on publicly offered numbers over the <laughs> long run. Um, I mean, you know, that's that's, you know, VOD has never had publicly offered numbers. And right. the reason for that is because they don't have to release them. I right. mean, box office numbers are available because there's a third party involved and because it's how things are done. You know, even back in the day when it was only in variety so that, you know, an actor could use the, hey, my last movie opened at number one with eight million dollars. So right. I want X amount for my next film. Um, you know, this stuff was all inside baseball and it became relatively well known i mean even when i first started following this stuff in the you know late 80s early 90s you know it certainly wasn't common knowledge for people in my school i mean i think the only the first time that regular people started following this stuff was maybe jurassic park or more likely titanic Hmm. um but you know as the internet and blah 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 became more and more mainstream uh, and then you started having the tracking numbers actually being released to the public as if they were, you know, well, that released to the public as news, you know, it would, it would, it would you know, uh, and that I don't think even really started until like 2007. Hmm. Um, I think it was Sony releasing the very, very good tracking numbers for the Da Vinci Code sort of, you know, sort of clap back at some negative press before that film had opened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Correctly, because it opened with $77 million that summer. Um, and so I do wonder, A, from a, you know analytical point of view, and B, from you know how it affects me selfishly, you know, to what extent are we going to still be privy to the information that, you know, has become very commonplace? Right. Um, but having said that, no, there, there's... If there is tracking for Tenet, I haven't been privy to it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, if you want my thoughts on it, and this is obviously 
spitball guesstimation, you know, again, we're kind of in uncharted waters here. I think the fact that, you know, uh, Train to Busan and Deliver Us from Evil did very well in South Korea, and that the 800, which is a shot at IMAX 1937 war movie that opened in China this weekend, it did $116 million, mm-hmm. um, means that to the extent that theaters are open and are presumed safe in one territory or another, that people will come back when there's something specific that they specifically wanted to see in the theater before all of this started. Right. Unhinged is not that movie. Yeah. Uh, New Mutants, to a certain extent, is not that movie. Mm-hmm. And it could be that movie. Does that mean it's going to do as well as it would have opened in you know, July during normal circumstances? Absolutely not. Here's a number to play with. Right now, the biggest opening weekend over Labor Day, you know, Friday through Monday, is the $30.5 million opening of Rob Zombie's Halloween in 2007. Oh, wow. If Tenet, which officially opens, I think, Thursday, September 3rd in America, after three days of preview screenings, gets anywhere near that number over five days, I would consider that a pretty big win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as legs, you know, Warner Brothers is basically forcing multiplexes to keep the movie on the biggest screen possible for around 12 weeks. The biggest non IMAX screen. Uh, if you're a one screener, it's four weeks. If you're a three to eight screen theater, I think it's five or six weeks, eight weeks maybe. Um, but they are, A, they're taking domestic box office seriously. They're not just writing it off, which, frankly, I kind of thought they were doing at first. Mm-hmm. And B, they are expecting, you know, Phantom Menace type legs where people show up and then keep showing up all summer because it's the biggest game in town and because it's still on the biggest screen week after week after week. Right. Um, the reviews from people in Europe are pretty positive. You know, there are nitpicks. There are people that generally don't like it, but. Off the top of my head, I think it's like 82% fresh and 7 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes, which by any other standard would be just fine. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I have not seen the film yet, but you know the fact that people are showing up to demographically specific event movies in countries that comparatively have this on, you know, have the coronavirus on the run, pardon the cliche, mm-hmm. leads me to believe that a movie like Tenet is going to be some variation of okay. Right. Be wrong. But, you know, again, the fact that the the South Korean movies are doing great in South America and the Chinese blockbuster is doing terrific in China, frankly, it it could do about as well as it was going to do had it had, A, it not been delayed from last summer. That's a whole different story. And B, had it not opened in the middle of a pandemic. Right. That, to me, is very promising. Um, But we'll see. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for this breakdown Thanks, of, of where things are going. And yeah, I'm certainly, uh, both of, we're all very curious as what's going to be happening because it's going to, that narrative is going to shape what's going to happen for, I imagine, the you know the rest of the oh, year as totally. well. So. And, you know, we're going to keep ranting about this shit because mm-hmm. you know how upset <laughs> Aaron and I are that other countries are able to go see a theater movies? Based there. off their based off their population's responsibility, of course. Yes, yeah, but, you know, like, you don't think that I want to see Mulan in the theater? Come on. Oh. Right now I'm gonna watch it like on the TV at home. Yeah, not laptop. all of us. Not all of us got to see it at the premiere of the week before the movie opened, like Scott did. So <laughs> uh, once again, Scott here just like ruining my life. <laughs> hey, 
I did. There are there are people in our peer circle that saw a quiet place and I did not. <laughs> oh wow! Already, huh? Hmm. Oh yeah, it was it was screened a little bit. It yeah. was, uh, that was the the week it was canceled was when everything uh, changed yeah. for most of us. <laughs> so. so it actually came true to life then. The aliens attacked. Yeah. And it's yeah. very much a quiet place in theaters right now. That's yeah. for sure. Oh. <laughs> and John Krasinski nowhere to be found. He's probably at the gym he's, stretching his nose. He's making he's signing contracts for too much good news. <laughs> too much good news. Yeah. All right. Some good news. The theme of twenty twenty. Too much good news. <laughs> Let's move on now. Let's get to our feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over some of the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners, and they gave us some answers. So here we go. This is a fun first question. What's your favorite B movie starring an Oscar winner post Oscar win? Richard has Richard writes The Vampire Lovers, maybe. Peter Cushing won an Oscar for 1948's Hamlet, but that was for Best Picture, so not sure if it counts. Does Plan 9 from Outer Space or Killer Clowns from Outer Space have any Oscar winners in them? Those are two of my most favorite B movies. No, no one no one won an Oscar. Scott, do you have any favorite B movies? I'm thinking. I mean, does Star Wars count? I mean, Guinness won. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have several I have several answers, and I was trying to base it off of, like, the immediate film they did after they won their Oscar. That's what I was trying yeah. to go with. So a few of them I have here are Morgan Freeman and Unleashed, the Jet Li film, which oh, I have quite yeah. a bit. A lot of collars in that one. Yeah, a lot of collars. Bob Hoskins as a dog. Um, Christoph Barbie. Waltz. Kiss Christoph Waltz in Steampunk Three Musketeers, because I like that one. <laughs> Uh, Al, I like is Carlito's Way a B movie? Like Al Pacino, Al Pacino uh, and Carlito's Way? No, I mean, sold as one. Sure. I mean, I guess I'm just thinking of like the kind of movie it is, because it's just it's just a gangster movie. It just yeah. happens to have like a talent involved. Yeah. And then, I mean, similarly, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible Three. I mean, that's um, he really uh he's really menacing in that movie. That. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you and your wife. It's like, oh god, this guy. No, is no, 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 no. It's I'm gonna hurt her, and then I'm gonna kill her <laughs> while you watch. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. That was an idiot. <laughs> that was uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in. Um... I was gonna say Deuce Bigelow. Twister. <laughs> no, it's it's Twist Twister. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I miss that guy. Yeah. All right. Did you have any other things to go with this? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I, I enjoy the examples that you're thinking of. I, yeah. I tried. I did the work because I figured we might have a struggle on this one. Cause yeah, I was like, it might be. It's kind of difficult for an Oscar winner post Oscar, right? So, Especially for a B movie specifically. That yeah, for the B movie specifically. Because um, I so. can think of B movies people have been in after they won Oscars. I was trying to think of like immediately after, like their next film was this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're both fans of you know Halle Berry's two you know Bruce Forearm thrillers, you know, The Call and Help. Yeah, I mean. But if she had like, if she had like Gothica after yeah. after after Monsters yeah. Ball, and I, I was and I was starting to think Swordfish, but that was that was that same year. That was yes. before and Monsters Ball. The other thing is also like, would you consider um, what's the movie? What's the movie where it was it was the uh, Wachowski Starship with Channing Tatum? What Jupiter Ascending? Yeah, yeah, would you consider that for like Eddie Redmayne, right? But I don't know well, if that was well. That was that was made before he won the Oscar, and but released afterward. Yeah, it was, right? well, it was delayed from that summer to that what? Mar- when did it come out? March, February, February. Yeah, it came out February. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was supposed to come out like eight, you know, whatever that number is, eight months earlier. And so it, yeah, it, I know what you're saying. Right. Um, 
So, it, and that and I don't think the Oscars even happened yet, right? It was more of like in tandem with the Oscars, you have advertisements where Eddie Red Rain's like yelling in his whisper voice, and it's like, well, this is awkward. And then he, <laughs> and then he, and then he, um, then he still stole that Oscar for Michael Keaton. So I mean, <laughs> oh man, that was how the Oscar. How do you give Birdman the best picture and not give him best actor? Because Eddie I mean, Redmayne, Eddie Redmayne sat in that chair with dignity, Scott. That's why. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we'll, we'll never know. And, and Felicity Jones was right there with him. <laughs> Every step of the way. Uh, well, let's move on to the next question. The question is, what are your favorite <laughs> films involving angry drivers? Maxwell has Changing Lanes and Drive Angry. Joe Jans has Baby Driver and Groundhog's Day. Ha. Justin has every Fast and Furious movie. And Catherine has Duel starring Dennis Weaver. Duel is obviously a genre classic. Um, uh, Changing Lanes is just a good movie. Changing Lanes is a fantastic picture. That's my favorite Ben Affleck film off the top of my head. Maybe one of my favorites of his performances. Take that surviving Christmas from the same year. Correct. <laughs> um, obviously. Oh, wait, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. That's 2002, right? It's Changing Lanes <laughs> 2002. Uh, Joyride I'm a huge fan of. Oh, Joyride. Yeah, J.J. Abrams scripted, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a very good J.J. Abrams script. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, it doesn't. Re- it has an ending, and it doesn't rely yeah. on certain things. So yeah, it's it, yeah. it does the job. Although it is about a anonymous trucker uh, chasing after people like Duel, so it's very much a Spielberg movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, it, it does its own thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, obviously Duel, uh, The Hitcher, obviously is is fine. I don't know if he's angry or just a lunatic. I don't. He's, also, he's not. Dri- is he driving in that movie though? Isn't just isn't Soul Man driving that whole movie? Yeah, you're right. I don't think he's. Well, he, he does occasionally drive, but you're Soul right. Soul Man. That's that's a we you know call C. Thomas Howell around the. Uh, <laughs> really appreciate that. <laughs> I, I'm sure that at this day and age, it's like, man, I really made a movie that was ambitious for its time. <laughs> <laughs> they show that they show this in schools now to tell people what not to do. Make Soul Man, <laughs> starring C. Thomas Howell and Leslie Nielsen. As a man that doesn't like black people, <laughs> that's a movie that happened once, and they're like, put it in theaters. <laughs> Let's get to the next question. <laughs> What's your favorite Russell Crowe performance? Maxwell writes Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, and Adam Drentry, both friends of the show, they, he writes, I don't think he's ever been better than A Beautiful Mind. Mm, my favorite's The Insider. It's a great performance, yeah. Um, I do like him a lot in American Gangster. Um, but he's he's also in in his more recent funny turns uh, really good in the nice guys. It's great in the nice. Yes. I mean, he's a. Yeah. I was thinking about this question. He's a very consistent actor as far as the quality he's delivering. Like yes. we're we're not big Man of Steel fans around these parts, but he does good. He does a good Jor El. Like he, oh, he's, he's great voiceover. Yeah. I don't like how the movie turns into a video game character in the second act, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, Scott, how is he supposed to know what to do on the ship if there's not a, a projection a man, there? A man pointing <laughs> left. <laughs> well, they could get old Spock to tell him. Yeah. Old Spock. No, no, old Spock would just like do the forcing. It's gonna take too long for me to explain it to you, so I'll just put my fingers on your face. Uh, offhand, um, I mean, I'm you know. I'm not the biggest Gladiator fan, but I do think he's very good in that movie. I'll, but, yes. I mean, as outside of this, The Insider... Well, I, Russell Crowe movies go, he's very good in it, right? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's very good Versus in it. Versus like this one where he's also sweaty. Yeah, the, in terms <laughs> of, yeah. But, I mean, Gladiator also has, like, one of the best crying scenes, going full snot. Um, 
Oh damn, dude, that is a sad scene. It's a good, it's a good scene. It's, it's, it's a good scene to base other crying scenes off of. Is it good as Russell Crowe Gladiator? I mean, uh, but the Insider, Master and Commander, and honestly, I watched Cinderella Man a little while ago uh, for the first time in a while. I really like that movie, and I think he's very good in it. I, I think he, I mean, it's a challenge to play a boxer like that, and I, it's like it's a, both an emotional and a physical performance. That I think he's really good with. Yeah, um, he's very really bad. <laughs> and I, hell, I, I enjoy his name as Rob Turd. But I, it's it's different, but it's entertaining. Different. It's something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, this isn't my quote, but I, I've seen it described as quote. You know, when the high school jock gets a big part in the school play. And you heard it here, folks. Scott Mendelson, when the big jock gets a role right. in the school play, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, he's clearly you know playing it as a rock star in a musical, and I think it's fun. Sure. None of us mentioned L.A. Confidential, by the way, which is fantastic. Oh, <laughs> so, damn! That's where the best he breaks that chair with his fists. Yeah. Um, and of course, nothing can touch virtuosity. Yeah, I mean that's, that's the, the this is the virtuosity does the dedication list. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what if Ricochet was bad? <laughs> we'll never know. Uh, the last question is: What are your favorite cat and mouse type chase movies? Todd Liebenau has North by Northwest, Smokey and the Bandit, and The Fugitive. And Tammy writes, Catch Me If You Can. That's a good, that's a good pick, Tammy. It is. I Catch am a, Me, or I'm sorry, cat and mouse type type chase movies. I am a fan of Panic Room. I like Panic Room quite a bit. Yes. Um, and that's that's all, you know, where am I in the house type movies. Uh-huh. So <laughs> does its job. Still not on Blu-ray. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um... There's a lot of like horror movies that come to mind here too, like in terms of cat and mouse type chase uh, things. Um, but I think the one that comes to mind, I don't. I mean, would you even call like The Dark Knight a cat and mouse type chase? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, The Dark Knight Rises has Catwoman in it, so I mean, there's that. Ah, yes. <laughs> I mean, but you know, go, Joker's always trying to mess with them, and then he's always like, "I almost got gotcha! you," and then like, you know. There's more uh, more shenanigans. Um, Red Eye comes to mind. Red Eye. Which I just think it's Is still... Killian Murphy? Yes, Killian Murphy, yeah. Rachel McAdams. Yeah. Uh, all due respect, Wes Craven's last good movie. Um, Accurate. What's, what was the other movie with... She's transporting her dead body, or the, her dead husband, but then like... Maybe uh, yes, he's not Flight Plan. Flight Plan, thank you. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, yeah. Foster, yeah. Um, saw it once, wasn't crazy about it, but nope. at some point I liked it again. I, Got I'm it. not, I wasn't a fan. <laughs> Maybe I was right the first time. And I mean, Sean Bean wasn't even the bad guy. I mean, it was big red hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, that was feedback, feedback, feedback. Yeah. And with that, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. Uh, you can find more of my work at thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing at Wheel of Entertainment, Wise the Blue, and variety now um you can also find me on twitter at aaron's ps4 abe you find more fun stuff over my instagram abe.mua and twitter.com slash walrus moose hashtag hmm, i actually don't have them this week okay yeah <laughs> scott Mendelson, where can people find more of you online well apparently frobes is, is that what it is <laughs> frobes? Frobs. yeah frobs okay yeah, yeah. frobs.com the snicket booth no, I mean, Forbes.com, the ticket booth. Um, my Twitter is at Scott Mendelson. Same bad time, same bad channel. <laughs> all right. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, Audio Boom, Spotify, and Stitcher. 
SoundCloud, Podomatic, or HHWOD. Feel free to email us at outnotpodcast at gmail.com. Or write on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash outnotpodcast, or twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And our Instagram page, instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast. Scott Mendelson, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank you, Scott. It's my pleasure. And yeah, Time that's good. That. Well, <laughs> we, we like to have the times indeed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Next week, we're talking uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. So get ready to face that music. Party and, on. Um, exactly. And yeah, we'll see how that goes. And we'll see you all next week. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. The land of race car yayas. The land where you can't change lanes. The land where large fuzzy dice still hang proudly like testicles from rearview mirrors. The land of race car yayas. The land where you can't change lanes The land where large fuzzy dice Still hang proudly like testicles from rearview mirrors The land of race car yayas some of the trailer for unhinged i imagine it's a lot i can't remember how it starts but i, I will have my revenge and it's life for the next okay. <laughs> go gladiator on he's just quoting his lines from gladiator through this whole movie <laughs> my name is marcus aurelius decimus meridius <laughs> i am robin hood and none of you remember this movie <laughs> yeah i come from mystery mystery alaska <laughs> is that a gun cocking? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's been a good year. Drinks wine. Yeah! Glasses walks off. <laughs> I guess you could call me a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten bigger. A bigger body of lies. <laughs> he kills her brother. He's just like. Now who's the Le Miserable? <laughs> that was terrible, but I laughed. Yeah, that's uh, that's Russell Crowe for you, buddy. He's always he's always a laugh. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes you're dead. <laughs> and we're good. Okay, that's... we should have just kept on going for that. Okay.